This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. Welcome back. Today is Thursday. And our shir on Thursday is a shir in Sefer Mishlei. We're given by Rav Shlomo Dov Rosen. Welcome back to our shiurim on Mishlei. In this shiur we hope to study the sixth chapter of Mishlei. The sixth chapter is made up of two halves. The first half is four poems, four small poems, different to those we have seen so far. They come as separate units. However, they would seem also to have some basic theme and a connection between them. The second half is a poem somewhat of the type we have seen so far, and it is also quite similar to the poem we will be seeing, hopefully, next week. Let's start with the first half, and these four small poems are actually, as we have said, quite different to what we have seen so far. Their form is very different, also their message is quite different, and we have to ask ourselves, what is going on here? What type of message are we supposed to receive from these poems? They seem overly simplistic at first, and when you start analysing them, you realise that they must be talking about something quite deeper. Perkvav Pasuk Aleph Bini Im Aravta Lereecha Takaata Lazar Kapecha My son, if you have gone surety to your friend, you have acted as a guarantor, you have pledged your hand to a stranger, Nokashta Vim Reficha you have stumbled, you have been caught in the words of your mouth, Nilkadta Bimreficha. You have been entrapped in the words of your mouth. Asezot Efo Bini Vihinatsed Kivata Vachafre Echa Lechitrapes Urahavre Echa. Do this, my son, and be saved. You have come in the hand of your friend. Go and bow down and raise up your friend. Go and speak to him. Apologize. Pacify him. Do not give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids. Escape like a deer from the hand and like a bird from the hand of the hunter. The first question which we must ask in trying to understand this poem is Is this simply some kind of moral rule, practical guidance for life? Is there a deeper meaning? And I think the proof, the strongest proof that there must be a deeper meaning is simply that the most obvious meaning of this piece is self-defeating. If this is supposed to be some kind of practical guide for life, teaching you how to live a, success, a successful or moral person, it is quite unsuccessful. The last thing you want to teach your child is that if you get caught up in a business engagement which was unwise, you should start going and apologizing. That's not a very moral argument. You act as a guarantor for somebody talk your way out of it. 
if this is supposed to be some kind of moral argument it does very badly as a moral argument perhaps if we analyze this slightly deeper we will realize that although it has a basic meaning in the most literal sense as a practical guidance on some level it's really talking about practical guidance on a much deeper level it's a mashal from what everyone would understand to be natural behavior but it's talking really about something completely different the moral goes in another direction from the allegory let's take a look at it again what is the difference between the first half of this pasuk and the second half in the first half you have acted as a guarantor gone surety or made some kind of commitment to a friend in the second half you have pledged your hand to a stranger however the stranger will not reappear throughout the poem every time we return to it it will be re'echa again and again in the second pasuk we have though the mirror of the first nokashta v'imreficha nilkadeta v'imreficha and nilkadeta is worse than nokashta so the first half of both first two psukim relates to a friend that you have made a commitment to and the second half to pledging your hand quite unintelligently and irresponsibly to a stranger that's funny are we talking about a friend or are we talking about a stranger and as I said the stranger will not return just the friend do this my son and be saved you have come into the hand of your friend go and apologize indeed as Rashi brings the idea that we're talking here about a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with God you have come into an arrangement into an agreement with God you have made a commitment but sometimes sometimes you then go and pledge your hand to a stranger after you've made this commitment to God and then we read in Pasuk Gimel My son, do this and be saved. You have come in the hand of your friend, of the one who is close to you. And since you have that commitment, that prior commitment, Before God, the only legitimate and proper approach is to apologize to try and fix up what you have done which is very much connected to the tshuva process lech hitrapes urahav re'echa what is hitrapes and what is rahav hitrapes is like to bow down before rahav is either to bring many friends or to raise him up you have basically two movements in the tshuva process in relating to God when you realize that your commitments to him have then later been weakened by pledging your hand to a stranger and what do you do to your beloved to Re'echa to one you are close to to God first you 
bring yourself low before him you break away that pride and then you raise him up and those are the two stages of tshuva of repentance do not let yourself sleep or slumber. Escape like a deer or like a bird caught. And so now that we have read it like Rashi, and we have suggested that this is actually talking about a relationship with God, we come back to the simple meaning of the allegory and try to understand why it was written in this manner. Indeed, this is not, or it does not seem to be some kind of moral teaching to a son, to a child, to teach how to live in life. This is actually not a very good moral teaching for life. But rather, it's playing on something that every child knows. That when he gets into trouble, what he has to do is immediately, never hinder, never push things off, don't hesitate, immediately go to that person and try to make amends on the level of a financial commitment that would be very weak but when we actually analyze the first sentence we realize it's not really talking about a financial commitment because there's the and there's the you have a commitment you have a relationship with God you have broken that by pledging your hand to a stranger and therefore your job is to go back to Re'echa, the one you have, quote-unquote, so to say, undermined by later turning away from and try to make amends. The teacher, the father, is playing on the natural childish approach of trying to make amends for everything and realize, realizing that you can't hesitate about it, you have to go and apologize straight out. The childish approach that that would make sense in a monetary contract and saying if you think that way in the ways of the world then how much more so in front of God that ultimately that's all you can do and that's all that is meaningful to apologize, to make amends to speak of your commitment and to build it up again. Let's now move on to the second poem. Go to an ant, lazy one. See her ways and become wise. It has no one ordering it about. She prepares in the summer her bread. She gathers in the harvest, her food. Ad matai atzel tishkav, matai takum mishnatecha, until when, lazy one, shall you lie down, shall you recline? When shall you get up from your sleep? Ma'at shenot, ma'at tnumot, ma'at chibuk yadayim lishkav. A little bit of sleep, a little bit of slumber, a little bit of hugging one's hands in lying down, and it will come like a visitor your poverty and your lack like an armed man 
This certainly seems to be a moral teaching, a moral teaching about not being lazy. And it's very famous. What can we note here? The points we would like to note are points which will come up in the next few poems as well. There are three types of action or effect of a person upon oneself. And these are developed very much in Kabbalistic literature and the Vilmagon in this chapter develops them quite a bit. Machshava, Dibur and Ma'ase Thought, meditation, speech and action. In Kabbalistic literature, including also more popular works, like the Tanya and the Nefshachayim, the ideas of Machshava, Dibur and Ma'aseh are central. There are three levels or three types by which one serves God. The meditation, the speech and the action. And we will note in the next few poems, next three poems, that these categories come up again and again. This can be noted first in this poem, in Pasuk Yud, Ma'at Shenot, Ma'at Numot, Ma'at Chibuk Yadayim Lishkav. And here, in talking in passivity, it could be we're talking here about Mashava, Ma'at Shenot, Ma'at Numot, on the level of Dibur, and Ma'at Chibuk Yadayim Lishkav, on the level of Ma'aseh. But the more important point to note in understanding the idea of the poem, besides, of course, the most obvious, which is, which is the idea of not being lazy and learning from the ant, who doesn't have anything to boss it about, but still does the right thing and prepares way in advance, is the last pasuk. And it will come like a visitor, your poverty, and your lack like an armed man. What is this idea of poverty coming quickly? Immediately, like a visitor. Well, the idea seems to be the following. The ant prepares way in advance. It understands that things quickly turn, and there'll be a time that it will not be able to get food if it didn't prepare it. A human being assumes that if it's good now, it will be good later as well. And actually, one of the reasons why it's so hard to act wisely is that Lack does not come slowly. People assume that it comes slowly. And when you start realizing that you are unwise, you'll have time to correct your mistake. But actually, quite the opposite. It'll come like a visitor. Seemingly somebody from another area, somebody, a stranger, somebody who had nothing to do with you, will suddenly turn up on your doorstep. Or like an armed man who will take it away from you. And you won't understand how it's connected to your action or your lack of action. That's what the ant understands. It doesn't have a master telling it what to do. It can understand in itself there'll be a time that there will not be plenty. And the individual is supposed to understand here that one doesn't come into poverty stage by stage. It suddenly falls upon one. And then it's too late. And this comes also in the positive side as well, in how one must plan. One must understand that stage by stage you build up 
and that's how you make sure that at a later stage everything is ready for you the same idea comes up in the next very short poem which is only four lines and to some extent perhaps a continuation of this one Adam Beliyaal Ish Aven Holech Ikshut Peh A bad and corrupt person going by untruthful mouth, corrupt, not straight speech. Koretz be'inav, molel baraglav, more be'etzbotav, making signs with his eyes, his feet, his hands. Tapuchot belibo, choreshra, bechol et. Midianim Yishaleach. In his heart things are overturned. Planning bad at every moment, sending out disagreements. Alkain Pitoom Yavo Edo. Peta Yishaver Vein Malpeh. Therefore suddenly his destruction will come. In a moment he will be broken and cannot be healed. Again we see the different types here. Thought, speech, and action. And in all these it says that this bad person suddenly comes to destruction, suddenly is broken. Because the person thinks it will come stage by stage, but quite not. Actually it comes in a sudden way. And it always seems like the poverty and like the problem came from without. Until a person understands that it was something he was developing from within. And now, on a very different note, let's move on to the last of the four poems. And then we'll start seeing how everything, I hope we will see how everything interconnects. Shesh heina sanei Adonai v'sheva to'avat nafsho. There are six things that God, God hates, and the seventh is disgusting before him. Einaim ramot l'shon shaker v'yadaim shofchot dam naki. High eyes, raised eyes, lying of the tongue, and hands spilling blood of the innocent. Lev choresh machshavot aven, raglay memaharot larutz lara'a, a heart planning badness, and feet walking, rushing to do bad. יפיח כזבים עד שקר ומשלח מדנים בין אחים causing developing slander as a witness and bringing fights and arguments between brothers ok there are a lot of bad things here what on earth does this mean what are the six and what is the seventh well let's work through them stage by stage and we realize that again it's working through machshava, dibur, and ma'aseh. Einaim ramot. Raised eyes. Pride. That's the heart. Machshava. Leshon shaker. Untrue tongue. That is speech. V'yadayim shofchot dam naki. And hand spilling the blood of the innocent. That is action that's our first three now a more developed form and now the way we develop 
It's like painting. We have our three primary colors. Machshava, Dibur and Maaseh. And then we come into our secondary colors. We mix them. Lev Choresh Machshavot Aven. And Machshavot Aven seems to have a connotation of speech as well. And therefore we have now the connection between Machshava and Dibur. Raglaim Maharot Larutz Lara'a. Running to do evil. That is Maaseh. But it's Maaseh which is planned. To a degree now we have the two together. Machshava and Maaseh. Not Machshava and Dibur. And now in the last Pasuk. Yafiach Kzavim Eid Shaker. Well this seems to be Dibur. But it's more complex. Because it's a very active form of Dibur. And Meshalech Medanim Benachim is the most complex. That's the most terrible. And what is Meshalech Medanim Benachim? That is sending out a disagreement between two other people. In a way that is all three together. A tertiary color. Machshava Dibur and Maaseh. It's planning to send out some kind of disagreement, likely in speech, between other people. What can we now take from these four poems before we move on to the next large one? I think the first poem is talking about a relationship to God and a responsibility to God. The responsibility that anything you pledge your hand to, besides, which is a zah, which is a stranger, something besides commitment to closeness to Kodesh Baruch Hu, is really something that comes later after you have already become a guarantor, taken responsibility, built up a, rela- built up a relationship with God at Har Sinai. And therefore, you must always flee immediately, run away quickly from any such mistake. And the idea of taking things immediately and quickly and the result is exactly what is developed in the next two poems as well. On the level of Mahshava, Dibur and Maaseh, you have to always act in advance before you make that mistake, before you fall into it. Always be prepared and realize that if suddenly things fall apart, it won't be something from outside. It was actually something you had planned upon yourself. Because indeed, people who are wicked, that is what happens. They don't understand that they get broken from without. They were planning badness and sending disagreement amongst other people. And that was their terrible evil. That is the ultimate evil. To bring the machshavah dibur and ma'aseh, which should be in the result for serving HaKadosh Baruch turning it upon themselves by sending disagreement amongst other people and corrupting society. And that brings us to the last poem that we have just read. There are six things which are problematic. The first three are the primary colors. The next three are the secondary colors. But the final, the Sheva, the last one, is actually a tertiary color. It's bringing all three together. And that comes into corrupting society, which is the most wicked thing. Which, of course, what would come out from this is that the greatest moral aim would be to cause, to bring peace into society which is a way to bring Machshavah, Dibur and Maaseh in a positive way together in a form of Avodat Hashem. Now let's move on to the next half of the 
of the chapter and we can do some of it quite fast because some of the Pesukim are quite repetitious and we have seen them already. Pesukkaf We've seen something like this before. Guard my son the command of your father and do not forsake the teachings of your mother. And we have discussed this quite a bit. Tie them to your heart all the time. Wear them as a necklace on your throat, on your neck. And we have discussed this quite a bit. But now we have a new pasuk. When you walk, it shall guide you. When you lie down, it shall guard you. And when you wake up, it shall speak with you. Or perhaps speak for you. Ki ner mitzvah v'torah or v'derech chayim tochachot musar For a light is a mitzvah. Sorry, for a candle is a mitzvah. And Torah is light. And the way of life is admonishing. Is teachings of Musa. Before we move ahead, let's try to understand this. Often the Pasuk we have just read, Kinamitzah Torah or Vedechayim Torachot Musa, is learned out of context, and that's quite alright. It's quite deep in itself. But it would be helpful to read it in the context of the previous Pasuk, which itself is quite famous. And what is it talking about? Chazal explained, When you wake up, it shall either speak for you or speak with you, or cause you to speak. It's talking about Olam Haba, the next world. When you go in this world, it guides you. It guides you. It shows you what to do, the Torah and the mitzvot. When you lie down, it guards you. Death. And when you wake up in the next world, it speaks for you or speaks with you, making you speak. It's what gives you eternal life in contact with God. It can also be read in a simpler way that in the course of normal life, the Torah and Mitzvot have these three functions. The first is when you're busy, when you're active, it guides you. The next is when you're lying down, you're not always active, it guards you. And when you wake up again, it involves you in speech. It's continuously involving you. Indeed, this is because key because why does Torah, do Torah and Mitzvot have these functions because ner mitzvah the Torah or the derchayim tochachot musar because the mitzvah is like a candle and the Torah is like light the Maharal in several places in his writings develops this metaphor very deeply he talks about how the ner the candle is physical and it holds the spiritual light and lets it forth. Remember also, this is something perhaps he doesn't mention, that a nair in the olden days didn't really mean a candle in the modern sense, but rather the container, the vessel, which was holding the oil, like in the menorah. 
And therefore, the candle is the physical container, the physical vessel in this world that is able to hold the oil and the wick from which you can have a flame. And the light which emanates from that flame is Torah. And what, <coughs> sorry, what is the relationship between a candle and the light it gives out? And the answer seems to be that a candle is something physical. Light is something, it's energy, it's something different to physicality in, in the simple sense. It may be more ideal, but it can't have an anchor in our world without something to let it out. People want the light without the candle. But there is no way to make that light. There is no way to hold that light in this world if you don't have a candle. The candle is a physical entity which is able to let out and create that light. Mitzvot might not always be the pure ideal. You might want to have the Torah without the mitzvot. Just the ideas. Just the wisdom. Just the ideals. But they would have no grounding and no anchoring in the physical world. And if you want them to have a grounding and an anchoring in the way of expression and development in the physical world, you have to have mitzvot. And the mitzvot are nothing but the anchoring and the cre physical creation of the spiritual within the physical. And that is the relationship of mitzvah and Torah, like ner and or. So what is der chayim tochachot musar? The way of life are teachings of musar of boundaries teaching us how to live there seems to be a third but there is a connection between the third point and the previous two because if it's a way of life a journey perhaps you need a torch of light to walk on that journey it could be the ner mitzvah is necessary for the der chayim alternatively it's a third point you have a mitzvah, you have a Torah, but you have ultimately the Der Chaim. And the way of life needs admonishing, needs teachings, needs boundaries. And what does all this do? And again we get back to the prostitute or the problematic woman. And we've speaking, spoken about this in the past. This is very gendered, but it's necessary given the culture in which this was written. I don't know if in our culture it would be written differently, but quite possibly. Mishle was written with the assumed reader being a man. You have to be taken care of from, you have to be guarded. The Torah is going to guard you from the bad woman or the trickery of the foreign woman. And we've already spoken about how the bad woman and the foreign woman are two very different people. The bad one is bad in herself, but the, the foreign is not bad in herself. Only in context. She's not right for you. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her take you with her eyelids. These are two things. One comes from you and one comes from her. 
And the second half is clearly connected to Chelkat Lashon the slippery tongue of the stranger. The stranger is the one from another culture which takes you. According to some Gersa'ot, this is the end of this poem, and others continue it. We shall be continuing it, but there is something of a bottom line in this sentence, in this statement. There are two halves, and I think it's saying something very deep about two types of Yitzhara. We have already spoken that the, the problematic woman of Mishlei presumably is either physical desires or foreign culture or heresy. For a woman who is a prostitute you come to a piece of bread to poverty. And a married woman she will entrap, hunt down a precious soul. What is the difference between the way the prostitute acts and the way the married woman acts? The prostitute brings you to poverty in a degrading, disgraceful manner by giving your very last penny. Through over-involvement with her, a person pushes himself into the gutter. There's nothing grand here. There's nothing precious here or respectable or gentrified. But the Eshet Ish, the married woman who's doing it in a gentrified manner, through a lover, she entraps and catches a precious soul. Somebody thinking he's doing it in a respectful, respectable, gentrified sin. Actually, he's going to be entrapped in court. And these, I think, are two types of sin when you go after desire or after foreign culture that undermines the Torah. The first is an over-involvement bringing you into the gutter, just pulling you down and destroying your life. The second is this assumed gentrified approach in a poetical and beautiful manner. Many cultures have had it with married women. And it brings you to be caught as a precious soul. And here, the great Musa about this, and we'll work fast through the second half of this last poem. Can a man poke coals within his arms, on his body, and his clothes not burn? In can a person walk on coals without his feet burning? So somebody who goes to his friend's wife, anybody who touches her will not be left innocent. Nobody will shame a robber when he steals to fill his soul because he's hungry, because he's starving. But still, it'll end out that he'll pay seven times over. He'll give all the wealth of his home.
but you just said he didn't have any wealth. This is an allegory. This is an allegory saying that somebody who steals because he is needy ultimately can be understood. Nobody will shame him. Although it's terrible to do what he did and he'll have to pay it up. But everybody can understand why he did that. He won't get shame. But that's different here when a person goes after desire completely irrationally. No if An adulterer is lacking of heart. The one who does it is destroying his soul. He will find shame. And his shame will never be erased. And the explanation, ki, with the last two psukim, ki kin'achamat gaver, velo yachmol biyom nakam. For it is jealousy, zealousness, the anger of a man. And he will not have pity in the day of revenge. Lo yisa pene chol kofer, velo yovek shochad. He will not take any interest in paying up double and you will not give in if you give him a bribe what is going on here it's very simple if you steal because you're needy that's forbidden and you'll have to pay back and you'll have to pay back a lot more and it won't be worth your while but nobody will shame you for that because people can understand how you got there but when you take an interest in desires and foreign interests which is usually the Yetzer Hara. Usually that's the game you're stuck in. It's undermining yourself and it is shameful. And when it comes to revenge, the husband will fight against you and destroy you and have no pity because he's not interested in a bribe. You have, you have caused shame and pain. And if we go back to the beginning of the chapter that we read earlier, you have a relationship with God. God doesn't take bribes. Rabbi Avram ben Aramban says, Hashem, God does not take bribes. What does that mean? That means that even if you're very careful about certain halachot, you actually develop your spirituality to incredible heights. If you think that means that you can give over, give up on other responsibilities you have before God or man, that is trying to give a bribe to God. That because you davened well, or because you gave charity, there's something else you don't have to do properly. That is a bribe. And the point is, that if we can bring this mashal to the relationship with God, God is like the husband. When it comes to this re- a relationship, when there's a relationship which is being destroyed, through doing bad completely irrationally it's not just shameful there is no way to have mercy because when you're doing it and destroying a relationship with God it's breaking the heart and that brings jealousy and zealousness now we know Hashem does have pity upon us but we have to understand the concept that you're dealing with you're dealing with a relationship and evil when it is not to be understood, when it, go beyond, when it goes beyond that, 
is an evil which destroys relationships. The Torah is supposed to teach you the way of life and to teach you that you have this relationship with HaKadosh Baruch and that this relationship is a spirituality that comes out of the physical world and that can guide you and give beauty to your life. 